0: Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Guns Reboot Review, a podcast indexing the stories of the Legion of Superheroes, specifically the adventures of the Reboot Legion, a kind of Ultimates version of the team that was found on comic shelves from October 1994 through October 2004, a shockingly exact decade of great stories and characterization. Because, at least for several years, the adventures of the Reboot Legion ran through two monthly titles simultaneously. Each episode of Reboot Review will recap one issue of each title, Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires. This time out I'll be revisiting Legion of Superheroes number 71 and Legionnaires number 28, both cover dated August 1995. So Legion number 71 is a great-looking Alan Davis and Mark Farmer cover. Though it depicts a uh, a true tragedy, in fact, it's a scene as tragic as you'll ever find in comics—the hateful and utter destruction of a of an entire world. The story, of this issue, called "Heaven and Hell," is written by Tom's McCraw and Pyre and Mark Wade. And it's interesting that the labor isn't divided up like it had been the last couple of issues, where the Tom's were credited with the plot, and Wade was doing just the dialogue. So. Perhaps Mark Wade had a little more input in what would be one of his final issues of the Legion, at least for a while. Lee Motor is back this issue on pencils, Ron Boyd is on inks, Pat Brousseau, the letterer, and Tom McCraw colored it. Got uh, Mike McAvenney and Casey Carlson doing the editing. This story opens at uh, Nullport, a large satellite structure used as the shipping hub of the United Planets, so a lot of eBay packages and Amazon orders go through there, I guess. Or they would go through there, if it wasn't currently serving as a conference room for the specious group, the White Triangle. About a dozen or so of the tight, black-suited creeps are gathered there after brutally killing all the staff to discuss their next move. One little faction wants to continue to destroy Stargates as illustrated the last time out. Stargates are wormholes manufactured by brand enterprises which makes travel between the distant planets of the United Planets a whole lot easier. But apparently word has made its way down that the leader has ordered this group to deal with a troublesome world which is on the verge of United Planets admittance. It's feared that the inhabitants of this world possess more power than the the Daxamite faction of the White Triangle, so all 12 Daxamites are to visit the world and to snuff out its hope of aligning with the UP. We next check in on Legionnaire Kinetics, who's taking a leave of absence from the team due to her loss of superpowers. She thinks to herself in desperation that she'd like to find somewhere in the galaxy some magical totem or object that would either return her telekinetic powers to her or even to give her a brand new set of powers. She's not picky, apparently, though she'd probably regret it if she found something that, say, caused her arms to fall off. It's not a superpower that she should envy. Not to say that she won't regret any outcome of this little quest of hers anyway. We'll see. Uh, She's in a ship that has entered a stargate, but she's told by the ship's computer that the exit gate on the other end no longer exists. This is, of course, the work of the white trianglers. She tells the ship to slow down gradually, and she'll find the nearest place to land once she slows down and enters real space, which she does. Though she's alerted that life support has been damaged and is only running at about 20%. We'll have to wait and see if and how Zoe gets out of this mess. Next, we see that RJ Brand, Legion founder and financier, has found his way to the planet Trom. He took off in a huff last issue, last episode, when he learned of the sabotaged Stargates. He, of course, feels personally responsible for these miracle devices and is now on Trom to look into getting them back up and running. He's greeted by a Mr. Tarn Ara, who looks very comfy in shorts, espadrilles, and a, a fanny pack. The men greet each other with a gentle ribbing, and when Tarn misreads Brand's melancholy as offense to his comments, the Tramite offers to turn the road into gold for him, or to diamonds. You see, Tarn, and all Tramites, for that matter, possess the ability to transmute the elements, and that's why Brand is there. RJ asks Tarn to accompany him back to UP space to get all the Stargates back online. Critical to Stargate's construction, I guess, is the element Tarnium, which is super rare, and I guess uh, there are few Tramites that are skilled enough with their abilities to, to reproduce it. This request comes at a bad time, as Tarn, his people's spokesman, along with his wife, Gara, they're due to speak with UP representatives, including President Chu, via teleconferencing software, the the future Skype, and it's an appointment that cannot be missed. Disappointed, Brand accompanies Tarn to a house of worship where he greets Tarn's family, including his wife and child named Jan, who lets slip that he's quite capable of making Tarnium, though this gets a serious glance from his father. At Legion headquarters, Invisible Kid is conducting a meeting of a few members of the team, including Triad, Chameleon, Violet, and Apparition. Topic of their discussion? The White Triangle, of course, and what to do about them. This meeting is a secret from the other team members, Obviously, as Cam alerts the others when he hears someone outside their conference room. At Cam's signal, Violet shrinks down to nothing. Apparition phases under the couch. Cam turns into a pillow. And Invisible Kid fades from view, while Triad splits into her three selves. When the someone outside turns out to be Cosmic Boy, checking in, Triad claims the conversation he overheard was just between her selves. An excuse that uh, seems to satisfy Kaz. the members of this uh, Splinter squad reappear and continue their discussion. They're on to the fact that the White Triangle has been behind many of the troubles faced by the team since their founding, really, including the original hit attempt on R.J. Brand, the uh, Planet Hell prison break, and the recent attacks on both Triad and Apparition ran into some trianglers last time out. Citing Cosmic Boy's quickness and excluding members he considered weak or in need of protection from some previous missions, the, and also the subtlety and the stealth with which uh, the currently assembled team members have and what he thinks the mission needs, Lyle suggests getting to the bottom of the white triangle matter themselves in secret. Next in space, not too far away from Trom, R.J. Brand is making his way away from the world, cursing Tarn's stubbornness while praising Trom's idyllic beauty. Twelve small flying objects zip past him toward the planet and almost collide with his ship. In fact, it sends his ship tumbling. These flying objects are the Daxamites, the White Triangle Daxamites, all sporting cruel smiles. On Trom, perhaps in the era home... Tarn and Gara sit before a big monitor holding hands they've just begun their future Skype call to various UP ambassadors, we see President Chu we see Winnemawazo and uh, the Daxamite Roxas, among others the Aras are, they just managed to express their concern that there may be those who wish to exploit the abilities of the Tramites, and then FASH! They're incinerated This is a really effective panel sequence by Lee Motor and Ron Boyd and colorist McCraw, too, as the black skeletons of what seconds before were two peaceful traumites contrasts against a stark red background. This is not a good situation. On the next page, we see the 12 Daxamites from space focusing their combined heat vision down toward the planet. The description of the result of this act over the next couple of pages is pretty effectively told in small caption boxes. The eyes blaze with hatred and fire, dimming the sun, reddening the sky, blackening the forests, churning the waters, charring the flesh, burning the world. Very poetic. I'm guessing... That's the work of Mark Wade. Uh, what follows is, a f- is four more pages of Trom's destruction. I don't think there's ever been a sequence like this in any Legion comic. Maybe issue number 38 of this series in a previous version of the 30th century where the earth blew up. Uh, maybe there was this much destruction and this much weight given to the near extinction of a, an entire people. We see as a group of Tramites valiantly tries to form some kind of metal shield out of thin air, but the heat vision just punches right through it. And there's more stark red destruction. The Daxamites completely lay waste to the entire planet, and uh, one of them cracks wise, saying, Good night, Tramites. You were a rare breed. And another chimes in with, And now you're well done. No, it's a good joke, but told by some very bad people. After a brief moment taken to admire their work, the Daxamites take off leaving R.J. Brand in his cruiser to survey the one-time paradise, now transmuted to a cinder. It's a tough ending to a really good issue. It was nice having Lee Motor back. The art has a... Grace that's missing whenever a fill in artist takes over. Motor's a near perfect fit, I think, to the Legion, uh, which which cannot be said for the art team, the artist in the, this episode's next issue. So, Legionnaires number 28 is wrapped in a nice enough cover by the regular art team of Jeffrey Moy and W.C. Karani. It advertises the introduction of the Legion Espionage Squad and features a Violet Triad and an invisible kid kicking butt, knocking around some white triangulars in that ugly blue and yellow armor that we've seen them wearing, which reminds me of the tin can booster gold war for a time in the nineties. This story called Nightfall is written by Pyron McCraw. It's penciled by fill artist Joyce Chin inked by Karani, who here he can't save the art from what I'd call, unfortunately, just an example of bad 90s art. Characters are bulky, they've got misshapen heads, they've got loads of unnecessary cross-hatching on their cheekbones. Backgrounds and architecture, they look pretty good, but the character work is its really just not to my taste. I'm sorry, but uh, this may be maybe the worst the Legion has looked, in in my opinion. (laughs) Anyway, it's lettered by Pat Rousseau, colored by McCraw. The story opens up at the Alamo, of all places, which has been preserved under a dome surrounded by tall buildings of what I guess is the Texas neighborhood of Metropolis' urban sprawl. And then, as, as it is today, the Alamo attracts its share of tourists, so in the 30th century there's a decent alien tourist trade, so that makes it a likely target for some white triangle shenanigans. And a couple of armored trianglers show up to attack a group of hooded derlins who, they really look nothing like the squid-faced derlins we've seen before, and... Honestly, I can't tell if it's the artist's interpretation or a plot point that will soon be revealed. Um, I can't tell what's the discrepancy in the Durlins' appearance. As the Durlins, they put up a fight, and they managed to disarm and then capture the group of white triangle people. Turns out the Durlins were legionnaires in disguise. Violet, apparition, triad, they're all wearing long robes and Durlin hand like gloves and also face masks. I'm assuming Chameleon, who's also present, was just using his legitimate Durlin shapeshifting ability to ape the look that he wears normally on his on his own home world. At Legion headquarters, RJ Brand reports in remotely to Cosmic Boy, the murder of the planet Trom. Cosmic Boy offers to send out a Legion ship to escort Brand home, but Bran says he's asked the UP to cancel all non essential space travel, and kind of mysteriously claims that he has some sort of protection. Disappointed by the travel ban is Livewire, who sees it as another setback in his search for his missing brother. He takes his frustration out on a Legion control panel, and his outburst is witnessed by his sister, Spark. She says that Legion property can be destroyed only by members of the team, which I hope is sarcasm, but it doesn't come across that way in either the script or by her expression. In another part of the headquarters, Invisible Kid and his group unload their prisoners, to the surprise of Cosmoboy and Leviathan. Lyle, Invisible Kid, claims to have just uh, run into them, and when Leviathan offers to escort the prisoners to the science police, Invisible Kid interrupts and says, he'll, he'll he'll take care of it. Kaz is a little cranky and suspicious, saying that Lyle better take care of it or else. He doesn't have time for Lyle's quote-unquote nonsense. Apparition takes a call from her mother, who really wants nothing more than an opportunity to rag on the Legion, as she is wont to do. And also Tinya's relationship with Ultra Boy. Tinya can't take any more of her mother's rant and just phases through the floor. We then see things from Winnemawazo's point of view. We get a moment with her in her quarters. She's approached by a very, funnily enough, Ultra, ultra Boy-looking-ish guy named Merle, who we're to understand is actually Tinya's father. He's there looking for a handout to pay off some bookies and Winema kind of hypocritically just hands over the credits. So we we see that uh, she's obviously got some issues of her own. So we check back in next with the espionage squad. Apparently Invisible Kid wasn't yet keen on turning the captured triangulars over to the science police because he wanted to do some interrogation on his own. Trapped in the Legion's virtual reality training room, which we've seen this kind of danger room-like space before. Uh, The white triangulars are subjected to uh, all kinds of virtual reality alien threats thanks to the headgear, the VR headgear they've got strapped on. The triangulars don't really have much info to surrender, actually, apart from the spoon-fed... White Triangle believe that their crusade is not about hate, it's about love of their own kind. Lyle's desperate to find out who exactly is behind the movement, uh, and the identity of the group's leader, but these low-level thugs, they truly have no idea. Later in a meeting, the espionagers toss around the few pieces they've put together, but no one seems to want to listen to Violet, who seems to have picked up on the only valid lead that their own Daxamite teammate, Andromeda, is obviously connected to the group and that perhaps the trail should lead to Daxam, the planet Daxam. The other members seem skeptical, but Vi, she can't seem to shake her gut feeling. This scene provides a nice segue, an opportunity for Brainiac 5 to check in with his recovering patient, Andromeda, who, despite having her life saved by Brainy, and his lead serum. angrily chases him out of her quarters. Obviously her past acts are eating her up inside. She reaches out with her super senses, and actually happens to catch the mention of her name coming from United Planets headquarters, where the Daxamite ambassador Roxas is communicating to the group of Daxamite trianglers who are headquartered on that UP shipping station. It seems Roxas wants to move up the timetable on their plan to destroy the UP. After badmouthing every race but their own, Roxas on his end is interrupted by Flint, an Earthman, I think, who along with another creep named Doyle had actually carried out the assassination attempt on R.J. Brand. After overhearing... Roxas's uh, conversation. Flint feels betrayed and he even admits booby-trapping Kid Quantum's casket. This was covered several episodes ago. The deceased legionnaire, his casket was bombed. Uh, and this was done all in the name of the White Triangle. Roxas takes offense to the interruption and to the tone with which he's being spoken to and uses his great strength to snap Flint's neck. This is all done over the open line of communication with the other Daxamites, kind of get a kick out of it. Roxas encourages his group to drink up what they have in their goblets, and it's apparently the Anti-Lead Serum which will allow these villains unhindered superpowers on Earth. Now how this serum was replicated for these Daxamites is a mystery. Uh, Because as we learned last episode, Brainiac 5 needed to customize the formula for Laurel's unique physiology. Uh, Who knows? I don't know if this is a forgotten detail, maybe? Anyway, they finish their toast to Andromeda, who, remember in desperation, mentioned the existence of the serum to Roxas. And Roxas just casually calls her a fool. And this is what Andromeda overhears from some distance. This causes her to smash her way out of Legion HQ, Almost matching the uh, approaching Violet at the same time, Laurel says, Back off, insect! That's not nice. Whatever Laurel's off to do, though, she says she's got to do it alone. And in the last scene of the issue, Cosmic Boy and Leviathan are at EarthGov Space Watch post. A post in Antarctica where the previous destruction of the Stargates had been monitored from. While the Legionnaires are there, another report comes in. The orbiting weather control device, which is in orbit over Central Asia, just went offline. And then one by one, other surveillance services go out. Cosmopoy orders Leviathan to alert all the Legionnaires and to copy Leland Macaulay and his workforce. Passing Boy uh, rightly anticipates that uh, this will be big. And on the last page, we see the cause of the satellite failures. The Daxamites have arrived. And they're ripping apart their little latest satellite. And we're told that the story will conclude in Legionnaire's Annual Number 2. And that will be, of course, the subject of next episode's recap which is the finale, really, of the first year of Adventures of the Reboot Legion. So this issue, not one of my favorites. True events are accelerating and the threat seems very dire. Um, But it's, to me at least, such a hard issue to look at. This was very early in Joyce Jin's career. I I just wish that these early reboot issues didn't get hindered by the succession of such green... uh, artists, villain artists. She may have gone on to do some great work, uh, not meant as an attack, I'm not familiar with her art beyond this and some contemporary work she did on Guy Gardner. I see on Comic Book DB she would do a multi-part Savage Land serial for Marvel uh, more than ten years after this, and that's intriguing and of possible interest to at least this Shanna the She-Devil fan, so... So I may, seek a, I may seek those out. We'll see. Anyway, I do, I'll do. i say that the uh, string of fill-in artists that we've had over the last couple of months, it's all worth it, because uh, Jeffrey Moy returns next time out for the extra-sized annual. He did the pencil, the whole thing. He must have needed uh, the time to work on that, put in some great work. Uh, but again, that's something I'll be talking about next episode. If you have any comments on this one, or you know just general comments about this era of the Legion, I'd love to hear them. You can reach me on the blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, or on Twitter, where I post as at Mark Sweeney Jr., or by emailing me, you can do that at imthegun at gmail.com. I want to thank uh, Twitter handle at BringBackLSH for being the only one to get back to me about the identity of the purple dress in the shop window depicted last time out Uh, in the last issue of Legionnaires. There was a shop called Forte Fashions that some Legionnaires were checking out, and this was a tribute of sorts to old Legion artist John Fort, and the shop had some fashions which were Familiar Artist Mike Collins threw in a couple of Easter egg outfits in the window. And so it was an old Phantom Girl outfit, Tyrox costume. Uh, but there was a purple dress that looked familiar to me, but I, I couldn't quite place it. I thought maybe it was something that Projectra wore at some point. Uh, but at Bring Back LSH made a, made the suggestion that it could have been, belonged to Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld, which, which that is a genuine possibility. So thank you for that. If you've missed any previous episode of Reboot Review, please check out iTunes for the back catalog or by visiting the blog. All right, I think that's that'll do it. The review will be back in a couple of weeks. So until then, LOL, live on Legion.